Welcome to the World Hunting Podcast, where we shine a light onto hidden worlds of money and power. I'm Tom Wright, and I'm joined by Bradley Hope. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that Whale Hunting actually started life as a newsletter, and you can still subscribe to our updates at whalehunting.projectbrazen.com. So this week, we're talking about Fat Leonard, which is a story Tom knows extremely well, and that has recently dropped back into the news with some dramatic developments. Tom, to start us off, Can you just tell us who is Fat Leonard and where did the story come from? So a few years ago, I was talking to a source from Billion Dollar Whale, obviously a book about Jolo. This source had been very useful in connecting us to a number of people. He's a Malaysian. And he said, hey, I've got this other friend. He's in in a jail in San Diego for a massive fraud involving the U.S. Navy. There was a huge corruption scandal involving U.S. admirals. This guy was a supplier of food, fuel, and, and other things to the U.S. Navy in the Asia-Pacific, and that he got done for this, this huge contracting fraud, overcharging the Navy, basically, but that he's been scapegoated, um, and he wants to tell his story. He thinks a lot of other people are guilty, and they got off scot-free. And so this source of mine connected me to Leonard, Leonard Francis, otherwise known as Fat Leonard, who at the time was in home detention in San Diego wearing a, an ankle bracelet, this was in 2021. We smuggled him in a microphone to his home detention. And this is like obviously during the height of COVID and proceeded to then interview him for, for over 20 hours. So I spent a lot of time with him. And he told his whole story about how he had become this multimillionaire, you know, worth tens of millions of dollars supplying the US Navy with what it needed in the Pacific. And then how he'd been arrested in 2013 for corruption, for basically overcharging for all of this. But as we got deeper and deeper into the story, and I I spent many, many hours talking to him, a number of kind of crazy facts came out that had never really been reported before. One of which was that in return for overcharging the US Navy, he would put on all these kinds of parties for admirals. These involved orgies, involving prostitutes. And it turned out that he'd been recording these uh, orgies and keeping the sexual compromat on U.S. admirals, which is, of course, a massive, massive national security breach for the U.S. military. And then he just kept telling story after story over the many hours that we spoke, and, and we turned that into the Fat Leonard podcast, which came out a couple of years ago and was, was Brazen's first podcast. But I, I guess I'm almost just curious about what it was like at the very beginning when you met with him. How did you persuade him that this was a good idea, and then when you're on those calls with him late into the, I think it was late in his night and it was like early in your morning, right? I mean, what was it like? Did you find yourself getting a little bit persuaded by Leonard? I, I remember that you had to persuade me not to be persuaded by people close to Joe Lowe during the 1MDB case because I, I kind of started to think, oh, you know, maybe this isn't quite what we think. Did you have that experience as well? Yeah, I mean, Leonard is a master people manipulator, as many of these fraudsters are, right? It's not actually very easy to pull off a fraud. If you look at it through a moral lens, you can say, oh, 
well, they're fraudsters, therefore none of this stuff is is valid. But it's actually very hard to pull off a fraud. Jolo's amazing at what he does, if you want to put it that way. And and Leonard Francis was too. I mean, you don't build a multi-million dollar business with the US Navy if you're not someone who can charm admirals and charm officers. And yeah, he definitely charmed me. And I started to, at one point, get a bit pulled into his web because it was COVID. We were spending hours talking to each other like you said, it was it was nighttime in San Diego and I live in Singapore. So for me, it was like 2 p.m. or whatever that was in the afternoon. And we, we would spend hours and hours talking and recording. And until today, actually, I do believe he has a, a valid point, which is in this case of him overcharging tens of millions of dollars and admirals getting sexual favors and their wives getting Chanel handbags and people going to parties with Cristal and, and caviar, only one admiral has gone to jail. And he was a one-star admiral, not a four-star admiral. And so that point, until today, I'm, I, I believe Leonard still has a valid uh, reason to be angry. He admitted, you know, he, continued, he had pleaded guilty in this case. In our talks, he didn't try to say that he wasn't guilty. That wasn't his point for talking. His reason for talking was because he believed there'd been a huge cover-up in the U.S. Navy of this case. A lot of the admirals, a lot of the top admirals, including an admiral who was in line to be chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the top military position in the US. You know, he was removed from the running for that because of his connections to Leonard. A number of other admirals were quietly removed, but they weren't dealt with in the federal court system as many of the more junior officers were. And that was something that was really driving Leonard's reason to talk. But then, you know, because of the way that he treats women, that was really the turning point for me. Yeah, so maybe tell the story of when you found the woman that was the mother of some of his children. You, I think you spoke to her at, at one point, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, so Leonard had basically fathered a um, number of children. Um, he, he'd been married, I think, twice, and he had children with, with uh, one of his wives. But then he'd also had children with a Filipina woman called Morena. And... Leonard told the story about how he'd had children with her and then, you know, the children ended up with him and Morena was out of the picture. But then, of course, you know, one of the things that we do as journalists is we don't, you never sort of take somebody's story at face value, especially somebody like Leonard, who's admitted to stealing at least 35 million from the US government. And so we ended up finding Morena and talking to her. And her story was that she had had her children stolen from her by Leonard that, that um, he had put her up in the Philippines for a while with her children and that then she had been lured with them to Singapore where he was living at the time. And he had, he had basically then taken the children, sent her back, cut off all money, cut off her credit cards, changed the locks on her apartment in the Philippines and she was left without her children, without any money. And Leonard was actually living with those children at the time when I was was talking to him in home detention in San Diego. We found out that this, the authorities in Singapore had even ordered, the family court here in Singapore had even ordered for Leonard to give those children back, but it was outside of their jurisdiction. And, you know, really for me, that was the point where I started to sort of feel different towards Leonard. Um, and he started to, his mask started to slip because all of the jokes about, oh, the great times with the admirals and the orgies and, you know, all of that, you could just think, oh, it's quite, it's like the fun part of the film, you know, it's a fun part of the Wolf of Wall Street where, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is having great fun as Jordan Belfort. And then later on, 
it all goes dark. And this was the moment for me with, in the Leonard story, in the, in the Fat Leonard story, where it goes very dark because he starts to talk about her in misogynistic terms as a sort of basically as a prostitute when she's the mother of his children. And then the story really took a dark turn because Leonard starts to talk about his own father who would bring women home when he was a young child and his mother lock his beat and lock his mother in a, in a closet while he brought other women home. I've seen him batter my mother so many times and it was just not right. And my mother was just, you know, like any wife's definitely going to be jealous. You're going to bring another woman to the house, you know, your maternal home, your kids and everything, you know, and your wife being there. How could you? My dad didn't care. Then his father died during the making of the podcast. And so we, we got, sort of got to the depths of, of his psyche a little bit. And then what was so troubling was that this is all mirrored in a lot of the stories of people who, who are serving in the U.S. Navy, you know? Of course, there are, there are amazing people who serve in the U.S. Navy and keep the Pacific safe. It's not everyone in the U.S. Navy, but there is definitely a strain in the U.S. Navy of misogyny. And, you know, the U.S. Navy is still working all of these issues out, you know? This is, a, this is an organization that allowed someone like Fat Leonard to become a very important part of the supply chain in Asia and still hasn't sort of exorcised those demons, in my view. This is one thing I think people don't sometimes realize is the emotional dimension of these kinds of projects. You listen to the finished project and you might hear, you know, for example, Leonard getting upset towards the end of the podcast when he finds out that you're not actually going to help him rehabilitate his image. In fact, you're going to mention these things that you just described, but can you talk a little bit about how it felt yourself on that roller coaster? I mean, you started off kind of charmed, then you had this realization. And when you had the realization, I remember you called me and you said, now I have to confront him. Can you just give a little bit of insight into what that was like? Yeah, it can be quite stressful as a journalist because you, you have to get the tape or the quote or whatever it is you're looking to get. And so the, you've got a professional hat on who's thinking, okay, now I've got to call up Leonard. And, you know, honestly, I held up that conversation until I got all the other tape that we needed to have the confrontational conversation because you know, well, perhaps that's the last time this guy's going to talk to me. So it, you, know, you don't have a normal relationship with someone. If you acted like that in a, in a normal one-on-one -on -one relationship, I think people would see you as quite manipulative, right? But it's, this is a professional thing. You're actually doing this for you know, you wanted to really find out what happened and tell as much of the story as possible. And that's why you talk to a wide range of people, not just Leonard in this case. But then you have to have that confrontational conversation at the end, because this is this idea that you have to give a right to reply to people, right? You can't just, I could have just not questioned Leonard about his treatment of, of his girlfriend and his children and all of that. We could have just put it into the podcast. But, you know, in the end, I did confront him with it and he, he got pretty angry. And you'll see that if you, if you listen to the podcast towards the end of it, right at the end of the last episode, he's, he's pretty furious with, with me. I am really confused by what is important to you right now. Do you want to talk about the big picture of this case? Or you want to talk about my personal life and all this mistresses? I'm also tired of this, you know, I'm tired of it too. Because I think yeah. you're a misogynist. I'm not. You know, I just think, you you know, you're getting the wrong idea about everything. And, and, I, and I feel that you trying to, you know, now turn it around and try to say, oh, I'm the bad guy. I don't think so. You know what? You're being unreasonable. You know, and I should have just drawn the line from the beginning. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. You can get quite stressed when you're doing that as a journalist because 
it's just like we're all humans and we don't like conflict with very few humans like conflict with other people right and so you have to work through that and you have but you have to sort of keep it almost in a different part of your brain because you're, you're trying to get tape or you're trying to get quotes it's like you know you're a journalist yeah like you know movies and popular culture divides the world into good guys and bad guys but the one thing you realize when you're a journalist is that nobody thinks they're a bad guy pretty much nobody imagines themselves on the side of the bad guys when they're watching a film or something they always sympathize with the good guys and they think they're one of the good guys too they just have excuses for the way they act whether it's like in his case family stuff or whatever the excuse is so when you confront people they're actually genuinely hurt they think like how could you pit me on the other side that's not what i'm like i'm you know me i'm 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 leonard i'm the fun guy who who's generous with his friends and things like that so that's why I always think is I have a very strange sympathy with these types of people because I see in their face or in their voice that they're really upset that this is going to happen to them, that this article is going to come out and it's going to, you know, ruin their reputations in their eyes, you know? Yeah. Well, we have an amazing um, article coming out in Vanity Fair about a, about a con woman up in California that Bradley and I are working on. And I think it's the same thing. You, nobody sets out to be a con artist, right? I think it happens by degrees. And those people, I mean, maybe Jolo's an exception. We always say he could have been a con artist from the, the womb. <laughs> but in general, people don't set out to do that. And it happens by events in their lives. I mean, in Leonard's case, 100%, this guy was very important for the U.S. Navy. When, when the U.S. Navy first started, to, first of all, they were kicked out of their base in, in the Philippines. They have a base in Japan and they have this other big base in the Philippines and they were kicked out by the Philippine government in the 90s. And Leonard was the bag man, right? The thing that, that you can't talk about in the U.S. military is if you want to operate in certain places, you need a bag man. You need somebody who's not the U.S. military to pay off all the corrupt port officials elsewhere so that boats can come in fuel can get put on and then you know of course he put on all the girls and the parties and the and everything else that the navy liked and so you know if he took out a bit here and a bit there then what did it matter you know he was doing a great job in the pacific and then he he professionalized it so when the uss cole got attacked just before september the 11th in the harbor in yemen in aden the U.S. Navy became very worried about al-Qaeda attacking its boats from when they were in port. And Leonard protected them. He put these things called rings of steel, you know, steel barges connected by chains around the boats. And he was the only person who was able to sort of create these kinds of infrastructure for the U.S. Navy around Asia. And so the gushes of cash that were pouring through, you know, the U.S. defense system in the years after September the 11th, he was a huge beneficiary of that. And that's why Leonard is such an amazing character. He was living in a $40 million Singapore dollar home in Singapore. He had Lambos and Ferraris out the front. His neighbor thought he was an arms dealer. These characters, you know, they can do good things and do useful things. And they can be very skilled. But then they can also have moral failings and it can it can all sort of descend. And that's those are the kind of characters we love at Brazen because they're so multifaceted, right? And I think they're great characters to then for actors to play in, in movies and TV shows. Yeah, I think also because these are people who understand how things actually work and they, they can see through the kind of mirage of 
what looks clean and normal and they can it's almost kind of entrepreneurial you know like they see these opportunities and they take them it's it's a they're very compelling people there's another couple of emotional highlights that i remember the next one was project brazen's first legal crisis do you want to talk about that what happened next once the podcast came out the trial's underway what happened next well don't forget when leonard talked to us he had already pleaded guilty in 2015 he didn't talk to us for another six years after that, but he'd been made to wait around a long time. And the reason he would be made to wait around a long time was obviously there was a cover-up. You know, the Navy didn't want a lot of their top admirals to go on, on the stand or to be indicted, so they dealt with it themselves. And Leonard was kept waiting around because he was, like the, he was always going to be the last person to get sentenced. So when he talked for our podcast, uh, there was still a trial ongoing in San Diego of a bunch of, of Navy officers, well, actually one admiral and a number of other senior officers. And their defense counsel then said, well, look, the prosecutor's chief witness, main um, witness, Leonard, has talked for this podcast, and we want to see all the notes of the reporters who talked to him. In our case, that would be all the transcripts of the interviews that didn't make it into the podcast, because this could be important for our clients who were trying to get off. So they, they then petitioned the judge to subpoena our tapes, meaning we had to hand over our tapes. Now, you know, Bradley, of course, you and I were like pretty angry about that because we believed that under the First Amendment in the US, we were protected from that. If you think about it, it's very dangerous um, that a judge would order a journalist to hand over his or her notebooks. Because if you do that, then you start to get into this idea that well, the press is not free, it's not independent, and um, we can start to sort of meddle around with your processes, and that's a very bad place to go. So we fought that, and then, of course, the judge had to weigh that against the Fifth and Sixth Amendments, which were the, those Navy officers' rights to a free and fair trial. You know, our argument was that, of course, we would have used the best parts and the, and the most newsworthy parts of Leonard's interviews with us for the podcast. So why do you have to go rifling through our notebooks and looking at our tapes? Because we're not going to hold back anything that isn't going to be important for the trial. But unfortunately, we lost. We handed over the tapes. And in the end, all of those officers, they were convicted, but I think all of them have been overturned recently due to prosecutorial misconduct in the case. So none of those officers have, have gone to jail and they've had all that all their cases have been overturned. And then a few months later, I guess, one day you woke up and then what was in the news about Leonard? That was a pretty shocking turn of events, right? Yes, yeah, so about a year after our podcast came out, Leonard decided to go on the run. So this was after the podcast came out, but before he'd been sentenced. I mean, don't forget he's pleaded guilty, he's just waiting for his sentencing. And so he decided to cut off his ankle bracelet, which was the way that they knew that he was at home arrest in San Diego. He'd been allowed into home arrest many years ago because he had, had cancer. So they decided to let him stay at home. Cut off his ankle bracelet, left it in a, in a, uh, in a fridge in his home, and then took a car over the border into Mexico. I think he believed he made it to Cuba, then Venezuela. And then you and I were trying to find him, weren't we, Bradley, at that point? He was sort of AWOL. It had been reported in the U.S. press that he basically jumped home arrest before his sentencing. And then you and I went on, on the search for him, didn't we? Yeah, I remember you call, we were having one of our 
unhealthy 3 a.m. conversations uh, in the middle of the night. And through a, a, a technique, a, a both a technology technique and a human source technique, we were able to identify that Leonard had gone to Venezuela. And that was a pretty fun discovery to have at that moment, right? Yeah, I should say that it was 3 a.m. for Bradley. I'm always asleep at 3 a.m., but he doesn't sleep. <laughs> Unhealthy for me, okay. He's always on the search for white-collar criminals, whatever whatever the time of day. And so he, he um, Bradley was basically able to find Leonard was in Venezuela. And this was before there'd been any reporting about where he was. So we reported that in Whale Hunting, our newsletter. And then I think, what, 48 hours later, he was arrested in Venezuela, trying to get on a plane to Russia, which is, of course, where all folk who want to stay away from the American government go these days. And yeah, he was, he was arrested by Venezuela. And then Venezuela, which doesn't have diplomatic relations with the US, the Maduro government obviously is an adversary of, of, of the US, then had an amazing pawn um, to trade with America because they had Fat Leonard in jail. That trade just happened a few weeks ago. Welcome to the News Hour. In a high-profile prisoner swap, 10 Americans are heading home tonight after the U.S. freed a top ally of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. Six of the Americans were judged wrongfully detained by the U.S. State Department. As part of the deal, the Maduro government also agreed to free 20 Venezuelan political prisoners. And a fugitive defense contractor, Leonard Francis, will be returned to the United States. He fled before sentencing in a massive bribery scandal involving the U.S. Navy. Yeah, so this is Alex Saab, who is almost kind of like the Jolo of Venezuela, allegedly, who's known as like the wallet of Maduro. This is a guy that was traveling around the world with a diplomatic passport, involved in Panama Papers, clearly was doing something in the the dark region of finance and very close to the president of Venezuela. And, and the U.S. government enumerated many different cases where he's connected to potential drug trafficking, money laundering, corruption. And um, he got picked up, I think it was like Cape Verde or something like that, or it was That's an right. island somewhere. And he got surprisingly arrested on a U.S. warrant. So Saab was extradited to the U.S. in October 2021 and charged with eight counts of money laundering. And basically, he was accused of moving $350 million out of Venezuela and into accounts controlled in the U.S. and other countries. Saab denied the charges and he was awaiting trial in Miami federal court uh, at the time of the prisoner swap. And, you know, he was really seen as Maduro's bagman, basically the guy who moved around Maduro's money. This guy, I, I recommend you look him up. He doesn't look like the kind of guy you want to mess with. Um, he like, looks like he's like straight out of a television show like Narcos or something. He's got a long Wikipedia entry alone, and there's a lot of Panama Papers. Mega producer was just telling me 11 hours ago he was made Maduro's new Minister of Investments. <laughs> so that's what he's doing now. Can you imagine that, that Najib stayed in power and made Jolo the Minister of Investments after all of this stuff? Like, I, I could totally see that happening, actually, in an, in an alternative universe. We reported all this throughout. If you recall, we did. We found Venezuela, him in Venezuela. We said he's going to be swapped for Saab. We talked about the people that were involved that Saab was hiring to try to lobby that in the U.S. government. So it's really a fascinating story. I mean, I, and I actually, in some ways, I almost can't believe it happened exactly as it happened. 
No, I mean, Leonard got very unlucky in a way because to land in a place, I mean, he wasn't trying to stop in Venezuela. It looked like he was trying to get to Russia where I'm sure he would have found a willing sanctuary because don't forget, he has all this comp- sexual compromise on US Navy admirals. He moved all of his files onto Chinese servers back at the time to try to avoid the NCIS. We haven't even talked about the fact that he'd corrupted an NCIS officer, actually the head of the Quantico office. That's another huge embarrassment for the US Navy. Um, and then he moved all of his servers onto a Chinese server to try to avoid the investigation. So, you know, the Putin government would have been very happy to have Leonard go live in Moscow. He just avoided that. He didn't make it there because he got arrested in Venezuela. And then it was very unlucky for him because Maduro really wanted Alex Saab back from jail in Miami because Alex Saab knows all about how Maduro moves his money around. And so, you know, that that deal was a year in the making. It wasn't just Leonard who was sent back for Alex Saab. It was also a number of other Americans who'd, who'd been arrested and, and kept in jail in Venezuela. Leonard was sent back a few weeks ago, and I think last week he made his first appearance back in the San Diego court. And now we're just waiting to see what his sentence will be. I mean, don't forget, this guy was arrested 11 years ago now. So he's done, apart from his one year on the lam, he's done 11 years in, in jail and home detention. The question is, you know, will they, because he went on the run, cut his ankle bracelet, will he get more time? And I think that's very likely. So it's probably not going to be a great outcome for Leonard. Yeah, I think he ended up, he ended up like doubling his, his problem by doing that, I think. I would just also say uh, to Alex Saab, if he's listening, that I know I, I said you look like you should belong on Narcos, but we would love to have you on whale hunting. We'll interview you. We'll hear your side of the story. So don't worry. Well, that's the Fat Leonard case. I guess the best thing for anyone to do who hasn't caught up with that is to listen to the podcast from the beginning to the end. So you can follow the whole story. I, we even cover his escape in a bonus episode. You know, it's just one of the it's one of the great stories of 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 military corruption. And I think in a way that one of the most compelling things we've always said from the beginning was that the way the whole thing came down because one woman had basically said that's enough, and and that's what that tipped it over. So ironic that he was has this very misogynistic point of view of women because in the end women took him down. It was definitely like the old boys club mentality, I felt like, to a certain degree with some of that. So it's like, let's just hush her up. And oh, if we do this protective order and that'll, you know, appease her, let's, we'll, that'll hush her up for a while. But Marcy, as we'll hear later in the series, wasn't going to stay quiet. Not about Michael's infidelities and not about all the gifts and trips he was clearly taking from Leonard. She didn't know everything but she knew enough to go to the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. Yeah, well, we haven't actually explained that, but yeah, he, he eventually was brought down because um, Marcy Mishevitz, who was the wife of, of a Navy officer who was corrupted by Leonard, she, she had concerns about Leonard. You know, her husband had, had talked about taking trips with her family that she, he couldn't talk about where the source of the money was from and Leonard was paying for all of this. And she took, she took it to the NCIS. And then the corrupt NCIS officer, the one who Leonard had corrupted with, with also with women and money and stuff, alerted Leonard that this woman, Marcia Mishevitz, was talking to the NCIS. But eventually they were able to set up an off-the-books NCIS that mounted an investigation into Leonard that Leonard didn't know about because it was kept away from the corrupt NCIS officer. So it's a great third-act climax to the whole story. And the feature film version that we're working on is going gonna, is gonna to make Marcy a major character because... You know, her brave role in this is fitting given the way that women are treated in, in the whole story. So can't wait for that to come to fruition. 
Okay, well, that's it for whale hunting this week. We'll be back next week for more. If you'd like to hear the Fat Leonard story from the very beginning, search for Fat Leonard on your favorite podcast app to start listening. Or go to brazen.fm, where you can also find all of our podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch. You can write to us at hello at projectbrazen.com. That goes to both Tom and I. And you can find us everywhere else, like Twitter as well. And we even have a Discord channel, where we also sometimes tell extra secrets that we weren't sharing elsewhere. Whale Hunting is a production of Project Brazen. It's hosted by me, Tom Wright, and Bradley Hope. It's produced by Megan Dean and Claire Urban. At Project Brazen, Mariangel Gonzalez is our project manager. Ryan Ho is the creative director, with additional design from Andrea Claridge. For more from Whale Hunting and to subscribe to our newsletter, visit whalehunting.projectbrazen.com. Whale